0: This episode was a conversation with John McFarlane, co-founder and CEO of PlaceOS, a software platform that enables smarter buildings and experiences. We talked about what PlaceOS is up to today, like enabling smarter workplaces for enterprise tenants around the world. We also impact where they're headed tomorrow, which is a fascinating story in my opinion. They're developing an ecosystem of partners around their software platform to enable workflow automation and control in much more than just our workplaces. And they're doing it with an open source business model. Without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus
1: podcast with John McFarlane.
0: Hello, John. Welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself?
1: Hi, James. Thanks for having me on, on the show. I've been listening for a long time. My name is John McFarlane. I'm the co founder and CEO of PlaceOS, a smart building integration platform. Uh, platform is the key word. And I hope that's something we can dive deep on today. Yes, it's one of my favorite topics.
0: Well, first I want to start with your background. Can we do that? I, I read on your LinkedIn profile, as I do, that you are a hobbyist
1: musician. What does that mean? I think that's a nice way of, of saying I'm a failed musician. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I think I haven't met anyone in in the smart building or in an audiovisual or IoT landscape <laughs> that had a clear pathway to get there. It's following opportunity and and for me, it started with music. So uh, music got me into uh, audio engineering, audio engineering got me into software, and software got me into what I'm doing today. And, oh. and I, I went all the way with audio production into studying architectural acoustics, which I guess got me into the building industry as well. So I studied at the Faculty of Architecture in Sydney University. So at the same time, I was, I was you know learning about software, learning about interface, doing cool subjects at Faculty of Architecture that were sort of... Was the how do we challenge the interface of the building when we're designing brand new buildings, and how does audio play a part in in the interface of a building? So that so that study that I ended up doing became very relevant by accident. I, I didn't then plan to have this career that I, I've I've had, but I, I do reflect quite often on my on my university because there's so many relevant things that we're doing back then this is like back in 2006 or something like that that I'm, I'm still like learning about today and and the key topic there for me is is always challenging the interface and and as someone that started a company that's focusing on the platform and not really any particular app or interface i'm always thinking about that how do we how do we interact with the building or with technology without without the traditional methods and i some of the experiments I did at university related to music, so back to this hobbyist musician thing, I had a, a sound installation artwork where I took away all the black and white notes of a piano, which is basically the interface of a piano, and I, uh, and I did this with a, a team. We added solenoids to, to each string of the piano, so there's like these sort of electronic pulses uh, that can strike the string. Uh, hooked that up to an Arduino board and hooked that up to a webcam, So the interface now became gesture. So you you sort of dance in front of the piano and it responds to you, and that sort of artistic experiment is something yeah I I reflect on quite a lot because I'm I'm like what happens if we just rethink the traditional interface of the of the piano in that case, Uh, the the keys the white and black keys the eighty eight notes on the on the keyboard how do how can you apply that to like a commercial landscape how do we Um, rethink the interface, rethink the way we interact with things. So long way to say that's, that's what I mean by hobbyist musician.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Well, I want to circle back a little bit later on the, the interface piece. So after university, you, you kind of went into audio visual, it sounds like after that.
1: Yeah, I, I sort of never left the uni for a while. So I, I finished my degree there. And, and then I got a job uh, at Sydney University. And that job was in the audiovisual department. So my job was really designing and, and project managing technology in lecture theatres and seminar rooms and teaching spaces. And at the time, the university and all universities were going through the, this transition of what is the purpose of our teaching spaces if we can have our lessons online so the trend was the acronym was moot uh, massive online open teaching and that was challenging everything so in a similar way that workplace is going through a similar transition on rethinking the purpose of the space so we're rethinking the purpose of the the physical teaching spaces and firstly we, we enabled them to be all of them to be sort of record enabled so you can record your lectures and get them online but there was a shift from big lectures lecture style theaters to smaller spaces because the smaller spaces were, were more relevant if you can do the the big courses online. So you're coming uh, to for collaboration, you're coming to campus for um, smaller tutorials, not for the lecture, not for the psychology 101 lecture that you've done online. So I, I learned a lot there. That's where I met my co-founder, Steve Von Takash. Um, so we both worked in the same department. He was, he was literally like writing the software to to manage some of these things. And I was scoping and designing solutions around his software. So we started a business to do exactly the same thing, but not just University of Sydney, for other universities initially, and for automation in spaces. So our, our sort of first business was focused on, on audio-visual control. And it was sort of lucky for us that we used a certain technology stack that allowed us to scale this to other uh, areas, So it was all web-based, it was all server-based, and that allowed us to follow other opportunities that came up and and quickly realized that audio-visual control is very niche and there was a, a larger market for us in, in the general building. If we just zoom out of the room, to the floor, to the building, to the campus or to the precinct, we sort of followed that naturally. So each project we did seemed to get bigger and less about the room and more about the, the larger space. Got it. Okay. And then that kind of flow into place OS then, right? Yeah. So, I, I'd say that the early days for these were sort of, we're still doing a lot of audio visual. We're doing specialty spaces. Sydney Opera House was a client of ours. That was really cool. So we did some audio visual control for them and digital signage for them. And, you know, that it was a great project because we we're backstage at the Opera House and it got to see, you know, the inner workings of such a cool venue, but there's not many venues like that. So, you know, once yeah. we did Sydney Opera House, we also did Sydney Convention Centre. That was our local market done. I mean, like we had no one else to sell to. So we went back to the drawing board and thought, well, what, what should our business be and what should we focus on we, we were a very small team at the time then there's like three or four of us and we're like we can't do everything we can't just keep working on project by project we want to be a product company so we we set out to to do so and and place os is the result of that and it was really a step back from specific projects to letting others decide what they want to use our platform for. We, we still have a natural trend in the workplace tenancy. We still do a little bit of audio visual, not, not a lot, just when it relates to meeting rooms so that we can automate the meeting room. Now where like the OS could stand for operating system, it could stand for open source, it could stand for open standards because we're, we're trying to allow others to build their own products on top. That's the journey we've been on from building our own control system for a teaching space to working out that there's a larger market for such technology and to really embrace the platform in both technology and business process and business model to sell a platform that allows others to create their own value. Totally. That's fascinating.
0: The aspect that you said around the educational space evolving and now office is going through the same evolution. That's so interesting to think about. I feel like I I haven't yet, you know, office is obviously forefront in, in this industry's mind right now Yeah, and how much things are changing there. But obviously there are other times the internet has disrupted other types of buildings and that's, that's fascinating to think about.
1: Yeah. It's quite a unique perspective if you worked in the university sector, because it, it feels familiar. I don't know how long it has been since you went to university or had anything to do with university, but like online learning was pretty, uh, innovative in that space. So in the same way that today, now a lot of meetings are all online. We were doing courses through Coursera and universities have their own platforms for this for, for a, a very long time. Uh, and there's actually been other startups out of Australia that, that were part of that story. And it's, it's great to see innovation coming out of my local market, uh, a company called Lectopia that re- was acquired by a US company that made it easy to automate the recordings of lectures. Once you get lectures online, rethinking well why do people come to campus and it's more about experience and this is exactly what workplace is going through like people are coming to the campus for experience everything's becoming more about experience and i'm seeing this across other verticals as well like retail you know retail is not dead online sales might be up but people still like that personalized experience or seeing an expert in store or having something curated because You can't just, you know, throw a catalog of products online and hope to find the best one. If you go to a retail store, it's curated for the market. So it's it's just something it's, everyone goes through the same thing. And I I like this about my personal journey. And and also just the fact that we're a platform is that we can learn things from one industry vertical and apply it to the other, or or just, you know, see opportunities that maybe other people don't see because we've, we've had that uh, unique experience, that accidental experience, I'd say. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Another one that I thought of that we don't have to dive into is healthcare. It seems like as the healthcare space digitizes and goes remote and all that, it seems like hospitals, which is a type of building that I've spent a lot of time in. It seems like that's going to change as well if it hasn't already. So what's another thing I noticed on your LinkedIn profile? Well, first of all, I wanted to say you're not the only guest in the show that has gone from AV into more general smart buildings. So Mike Brooman, who's CEO of Vanti in the UK, who you might have run into out there, he's been on the show and they made that same progression, you know, starting... Starting small in a conference room and and into more general technology. So what's Quay Pay? I noticed that on your
1: LinkedIn profile as well. Yeah. So so this is a company. It's essentially something we're promoting together with with PlaceOS. And so we pronounce it Key Pay. And the, the key part, we founded this business, Steve and I, in Circular Key in Sydney. So key is is like as in like where boats dock, you know. Key pay is uh, a lot of our projects started to have payments included and embedded payments is still difficult to do. It's getting easier with platforms like Stripe, but we were looking to embed payments into the physical space. So that, that's okay. essentially what, what KeyPay is. It's, it allows you to have automatic transactions and and essentially like a, a digital wallet that could also be your access card, that could also be your employee rewards and points system, or could even be like an internal currency of, of of points. So it's... It's essentially an API that we roll out and package with PlaceOS and when we do so, we call it Workplace Wallet, but it's also Correct. a standalone API that anyone can use on their own, their own projects. So, so payment was just uh, another sort of opportunity we saw if we just combine this with our platform, we can enable things quite easily. And one of the easy things there is if you take PlaceOS features off the shelf and add payments, you can pay for space uh, in real time. So if, you, if we validate a payment source, we could literally then unlock a door So PlaceOS can communicate to any base building access control system, trigger the the open command only if the payment's been validated. So that means you could have ad hoc bookings and payments all in one workflow. And that could be anything from, you know, paying to access a locker, paying to access a room, paying to access car parking. I'll, I'll describe it as a trick up our sleeve that we can apply to our projects. Got it. Super interesting. All right. So that's a good jumping
0: off point for PlaceOS then. What's the 90-second elevator pitch to start off with? Like what is
1: it? Well, ultimately it's an integration platform that's modular. So anyone can build their own modules with these APIs to do so. We can build that those as a service. And with close to 10 years of doing this ourselves, we have a pretty extensive library of modules. So these modules are when they're applied to, to a live system, are essentially digital twins of everything you're connected to. And by bridging all these silos, we can have automatic and automated workflows across the user journey. So if you just think about a building and every sort of touch point, um, we could integrate with each each of those touch points. And because it all goes to the one platform, we can trigger things automatically, or you can enable a front end or a user interface to be the way users can interact with it. But I'm much more interested in, in the automation side. So if you can just enter a building. We know who you are, where you are throughout the journey of your building and trigger things automatically and appropriately. And with the context of who you are uh, at all times. And and that's becoming easier and easier to do because location tracking is easier to do. We can integrate with multiple methods. This is the difference between like an app and a platform. An app might be tied to a single method like Bluetooth or, or a particular sensor where we can say, well, yeah, we can integrate with Wi-Fi triangulation in this area. We can integrate a camera system that's counting people in this area. And we can integrate with the desk sensor in this area and all of the above paints a better picture throughout the journey of the user. And if you don't have any sort of location awareness, we can at least integrate with building access control and and know how many people are in each zone, each floor, each building, and and use that through a simple context to then trigger appropriate actions, perhaps dynamically controlled air conditioning based on the number of people in an area. so that, that's what our platform allows. It's really up to the, the customers to work out, well, what user experiences can this solve for me? Because it it's there's a lot, you know, there could be anything in context of if this person's in this space, trigger this action. and That's all dependent on what we're connected to. So it's, it's both receiving data and triggering actions. And that, that later point, triggering actions is probably a big point of difference for us because there's a lot of platforms that just integrate and collect data. We're integrating, collecting data, sending control commands. And the ultimate value, if I sum this up in in one sort of uh, shorter phrase, is that we're the abstraction layer to everything in your building and your tenancy. Cool.
0: Yeah, I often say that there's like several phases of smart building technology. The first one is like, Centralized data, second one is analyzed data. And I feel like most of the marketplace just like stops there and views yeah. that as like the cool the cool thing, you know, the end point. Yeah. I, I always yeah. say control and optimize are the next phase that we have to get to.
1: It's uh, it's the optimize. area where we're okay. most interested in. Like w- okay. we we like the control, we like the experience side of, of the building. Mm-hmm. The the data and collection is almost a consequence of these integrations. I mean we totally. we by integrating, we can't avoid data because uh, it's coming to us and, and we've got to work out, well, what do we do with it? Do we store it? Do we just use it for real-time actions only? Do we stream it to a data lake? It can be any any of those. It's usually up to the customer, how the appetite for the data, but what all of our customers have in common is they, they want a better user experience in their building and that comes down to control. Mm. Um, And and that's where I think there's been a a big gap in the market uh, because of silos, you know, like, you know, the the base building access control, base building elevators aren't exposed. So you can't include that in your workflow for a a tenancy. And the tenancy has been like sort of stuck as like an island of their own technology that can't break into the general building. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes we can't solve that with technology because it's a business problem. It's a business process problem where the, the landlord doesn't open anything up to the tenancy. Right. Um, but I feel like landlords are getting a lot better at this. They, they realize that this is a service that their tenants want and it's even an opportunity for them, you know, maybe wrap up a service and charge more rent. <laughs> if, yeah. if, you know, if, if you want to have a point of difference for this office versus another, have better experiences and better experiences come from being open and having everything in your building available to be connected to so we can achieve a better experience. Totally. You mentioned, um, occupancy data.
0: So I often call what you just described best available occupancy data. And I talk about how only the overlay software can decide which, which I call, I call what you guys do, the platform an overlay, because it's an overlay on top of all the base building systems. And that piece of, of the overlays role to me is very misunderstood or not understood can you can you talk a little bit more about how that actually works? How do you go about deciding if I have three or four different sources of potential occupancy data, which one do I choose?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question because it, it is it is easy to be overwhelmed with all the the data that you're receiving. The, the short answer is we'll solve that with logic. So let's yeah. talk workplace in specifically, because workplaces are luxury sort of to work. Um, with because it's a controlled environment it's the, the way we make sure we know exactly how many people are in a space is by cross-referencing authentication systems because in a workplace everybody's authenticated some somewhere on, on some device or all their swipe cards authenticated to their to to the user so we can have logic that just doesn't count people more than once and then the method we're using is the best method for the time in the place so okay. as I said it's not always the same method in in all times uh, the, a really great starting point, though, for workplaces in particular, is the Wi-Fi because it's already there. It's it's such a low barrier to entry to get access to. It doesn't give you the, the very detailed, granular six foot tracking that. You might want for certain scenarios but if you don't need that for other scenarios then you may as well leverage what you already have so so most wi-fi providers today have location tracking built in if you know it or not if you're using it or not so we we are not adding anything new so it's, it's better for security and privacy because it's just leveraging something that's already happening in the background so hp enterprise aruba cisco meraki who we work extensively with and really anyone today can can give you that but but then it's yeah if if ideally everyone's authenticated so we actually know who is there not just people counting and that opens up a whole set of other possibilities of specific control events for the individual for personalization in in the workspace which i'm seeing a lot of our clients starting to embrace so it's not just a general control experience it's specific to the individual and and the reason they're doing that i think is as people are coming back to work they've they've been at home where they've had complete control of their environment. So when you're at home, if it's too sunny, you can, t- you can roll the blinds down. If it's too cold, you can turn the air conditioning off. Everyone's now sort of used to that. And, and you go back to a workplace where it's not very typical to, to expose discrete controls like that to the individual employee, but we could have preferences saved in a user profile. And because Wi-Fi triangulation then cross-referenced with the authentication system in the workplace, will tell us who and where someone is, we can take their preferences into account. And if, mm-hmm. it's not conflict, if it's not conflicting with anyone else's preferences, we can, you know, make the air conditioning colder. Got it. Fascinating. And to sort of extend the point on, on the on the, the data question that you asked, it, it's also asking questions like, what is the the purpose of, of the data long term? So I think a lot of people sort of stop at, let's just collect the data. Let's not think about why we're using it. And you need to scope the data in the same way as any user experience. You've got to ask why and what, what is the user story and journey of the data itself as as the next part of, of that user journey. And I, and I think for real-time control and action, that, that's something that needs to be considered. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to control things in real-time based on real-time dynamic input. But long-term, how long do we keep that data? How much data do we keep? Does it... Do we roll off on the quality of the data over six months? So our, our storage requirements uh, get less and less. And and there's no one answer to any of these questions. Every every workplace, every building needs to make their own decisions around this.
0: Fascinating. So it sounds like you guys are mainly serving tenants right now. Can you talk about how, how that works?
1: Yeah, uh, tenancies for us are typically workplaces and i'm trying as hard as i can to make place os not be seen as a workplace solution sorry um, about
0: that i didn't mean to frame but, the question no there. no
1: if we have a lot of traction in workplace and and it's great that people think of us when they need a workplace solution because we enable workplace solutions we power them uh, we do have off-the-shelf packages that are workplace applications that do you know desk booking room booking people finding audio visual controller meeting rooms but I, I really think that the the, the landlord is, is probably the ideal uh, customer for us, even though the, the workplace tenancy is probably our, our biggest customer right now. Mm, sure. and let, let me talk about both of the, those because interesting thing about workplaces, they're not tied to one physical location. So we do a lot of work with Coopers PWC, for example. We did all of their East Coast offices in Australia, their Singapore office, and more recently a number of offices in the Middle East. And, you know, so that means... We're not looking at one building, we're looking at maybe 15, 16 buildings. So they, they have multiple landlords, they have multiple systems, and they're using PlaceOS to have a uniform experience across multiple buildings. So that their needs are very different to the landlord. But the landlord has that in a similar way, but but, but multiple tenancies. So they, they want to have, you know, at least a base level offering to their tenants in, in one building or maybe their portfolio of buildings. And and I think that's interesting to me personally, because it helps with the getting out of workplace tenancy and, and doing interesting things, because there's a trend in in the the landscape of of building owners and people leasing out buildings of blurring the lines between all their asset types. So they're, they're looking at shopping centers and retail as as maybe a way to have pop-up office space they're they're looking at residential as a way to have co-working uh, in the resident residential tower so when you work from home you do so from a fit for purpose space on level 15 you know on the same level that you might also have access to the gym and, and the pool or the shared movie cinema so so th- that's interesting because it really lends itself well to a platform because we don't really care the platform doesn't care what the end experience is the platform's just like what integrations give us the required data to know the context and the required things to control to to change the action so yeah tenancy has been our strongest client and and workplace in particular and and there we're seeing it's it's mostly led by the industry trends activity-based working being the main one in in workplace and uh, i think that's only um yeah, that's more important today than it's ever been before activity-based hmm. working so you know in a nutshell taking you know looking at the work day as requiring different space so each activity requires different types of spaces so and and it's not always the assumptions people make that the desk is for focus work or it's it's really like taking an individualized approach to the hmm. workspace and and making sure that uh, everyone's work styles and the internal work culture of an organization is met with the right space for the right task, and that that's that concept. It's it's really a design concept, but that that leads to technology trends that has really been something has been you know the success of PlaceOS and workplace has been because of activity based working, and and now I'd say that there is you know a lot of people are wanting to to track people in the building for user experience, but also just for analytics more than they ever have. So that, that technology trend is also why a lot of people are coming to PlaceOS for for the ability to track people with multiple methods. But I yeah, see. I'm excited. I'm excited about doing more in, in these blurred lines between workplace, residential, hospitality, retail, all connecting to the same platform. Because that that's where some really interesting and, and novel stuff can happen. Absolutely.
0: Uh, like I'm at work right now. I don't need to be conditioning my apartment or vice versa. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together, and they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexislabs.online. All right, back to the interview. So one thing to follow up on, I've been lightly following the tenant app space, like tenant experience technology space. We've done a couple podcasts on it. Tell me more about how tech helps with activity-based working. How does that actually show up in in an application?
1: Yeah, well, I think if you're trying to match a workspace to an individual's work style, you, you need to know who and where that individual is. So it comes back to that really simple message of like who and where. And those two things are just the consistent part of smart building. And, and I always say it's like when you're scoping UX, you'd write user stories and th- that's, you know, user experience scoping 101. Uh, as this type of user, I want to achieve this for a particular reason. The difference when you're scoping user experience in a smart building is you're referencing space. So you have to add that where question. I want hmm. this particular experience for this particular user for this reason in this space. So technology lends itself well to to receive information about the user from records of truth, so a, a database of user information that, that could be if it's a visitor, it could be Salesforce. If it's a an employee, it can be Active Directory or at some sort of Microsoft platform or Google or anything like that. Or if it's in a hospitality, it might be an Oracle system. So, so the the who is a database, and we can connect all the, those things together. The the where is location services, and that's everything from QR codes manually telling us where you are, you know, check-in kiosks. Uh, and then starting to move into more passive ways of tracking cameras, Wi-Fi sensors, and building access control, swipe card events. So if if we link all of those things together, it's easier to achieve activity-based working goals because hmm. we can have profile information coming from multiple sources. We can know where someone is, so we can tailor the experience for them, and we can start looking at and you know now we have a user using a, a platform. What else can we deliver to them? What, what's, what are some of the nice-to-have features? And when, when we started uh, in Workplace, we, I used to always end with the sort of nice-to-have features at the tailor end of the meeting, but I feel like those are now leading the, the sales meeting and, and you know, okay. things like ordering food from the, the retail restaurant downstairs. So with you know, payments automatically taken care of, giving temporary access to the restaurant service delivery person so they can then come up to your tenancy in the elevator open the door find where you are and deliver the the food to you and and that's the sort of thing that's just like well how do we achieve that we need integration into building access control we need integration into payments we need integration into the elevator system and we need some sort of way of notifying the restaurant that this order has taken place and and where that like that, that big question where has it taken place Taking place on level fifteen in the west zone at this particular desk, now let's deliver it to the person. For the landlord, something like that's a win-win because the, the the workplace then has all of their employees that can order from this particular restaurant. The restaurant's receiving orders they may not have received uh, otherwise, and it's creating a sort of an internal ecosystem within the within the building and the precinct. Totally. Um, so, so things like that, that, that's the experience side of, of a smart building and not so much the facility side of a smart building is what people are, are really asking for. And, and just back to the question, I believe that's very much related to activity-based working because it's really just like improving the space in any way possible, making it more relevant to that person. So ultimately, they, they're more productive and, and achieve more and more successful in, in their day. So you talked about platforms a couple of times. Can you define
0: platform and what you mean by it and what's not a platform? And I feel like what what I've heard from you so far is I feel like, and listeners have heard me talk about this, but when we have, say, a point solution that's designed for one type of building to serve one business problem for one user, right? you can't then translate that to like you're saying adding on a retail experience adding on a residential experience you can't then go outside of that stakeholders one context that it was built for and it sounds like what you're talking about when you define platform you're talking about multiple applications maybe anyone can build one on top it could then be used for really any any experience for any user any stakeholder yeah is that is that kind of how you're thinking about
1: it yeah hundred percent it's platform in terms of sales, you know, like platform is a hard thing to sell, right? It's it's complicated. Yeah. It's not very tangible, but it enables products on top. So typically you're selling the product on top, not necessarily the platform, but you, in a sales meeting, you'll touch on, well, if we're selling you this particular workplace application, that's a package on top of this platform. You can extend on it because it's a platform. You're not stuck to these features. You're not even stuck to this interface. You can add features as as you go. And for us, adding features is all about the integration. So if you need to, if you, if you launch with place OS and you need to add a particular user experience that you don't have, we're just going to ask, well, what, what's the data that's going to give us the context? What's the uh, thing we can control to action something? So uh, if it's an access control experience, then we're like, oh, all you need to do is add the Linnell driver to your, to your place OS deployment. And now the Linnell access control system can be part of that experience. And if you need to bring it into the interface, then you need to either design the interface or you can just solve this problem with, with triggers, you know, conditional logic, if this happens to that, which is all sort of built into our product. But, but the, the, the platform, what I love about a platform is you don't know where it's, it's going in a way it's, it's like, Uh, So we're a very partner led company. So we work with partners to do the deployments and, and run the projects and they can scope things that we couldn't think of on our own. They, we can bring in a new partner that has a completely new industry vertical focus where we're working on some projects right now with, with production, commercial production of food. So warehousing and, and, and like big ovens and things like that, and measuring temperature and humidity for, for those sort of purposes. I don't know that space whatsoever. I, I have no expertise in in that space, but the particular partner does, and the client can have their own ideas. And all the all the platform has to do is make sure we can integrate with whatever sensor, whatever data we need to get into the system. So I I think this is that yeah it's, it's we're trying to get better at making packages so it's easier to understand. And what we've done is made sure that anyone can do anything. So we've we're completely open source. We have. So if you, if you go to our, our website, you'll see a link to our GitHub. You can literally deploy Place OS from, from our GitHub repositories and you can have access to every driver we have ever developed. Where we sort of draw the line is when we have to sign NDAs and we can't open source a particular thing. But our, our partners can take that or our customers can take that and expand on it and have their own private repositories if they want or contribute to our open source library. So a lot of our partners are doing that. So taking this open approach to the extent of open source means our driver ecosystem just continues to grow and grow based on our partners working on their large projects. And we still find at almost every project we do, there's at least two or three new drivers that need developing, which means we're just continuously adding to our driver library. So, uh, you know, long way of saying I, I, platform I think is important because you don't really even know what your needs are as, as an individual tenant. I feel like the needs will change by the time the project has finished, um, so, and you'll be, you'll be looking at the additional features you need now that you've been using the, the the solution for a few months. I don't think I've ever worked on a on a client project where they haven't added or, or completely rearranged the priorities of the project from day one. So. For example, maybe they've gone with us to do some simple room booking, but at scale. And they're using some location tracking just to check people into meeting rooms automatically. That might be why they went with us originally. But then, you know, after they've deployed, they realize what, well, you know, they have bigger problems in visitor management and or car space management. And they just keep adding these features on as they go. So the, the, the fundamental difference, if I, I'll, I'll try to summarize this, the fundamental difference between a platform and not a platform is that the logic and the smarts of a platform come from the platform itself not a platform would be like a workplace app the logic and the smarts come from the app itself which means you it's hard coded and you're stuck using it for and depending on the third party to update their app to get any additional features where a platform because the the front end and the apps are decoupled from the back end you can build anything on top and you can change things rapidly and because of the platform um, business model there's an ecosystem so things are continuously evolving it's not sort of set in stone fascinating and that open source business model from your guys' standpoint
0: that's pretty rare in our industry how do you guys make money and compete
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah there's like um, the dumb question that everyone probably has no it's 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 a good question. A former colleague of mine, Kim Burgess, he went around with a talk uh, about open source, and the first slide he has is open source does not equal free. Open open source is a philosophy really on the on the process and the and the of, of your your technical you know delivery, and and it's it's making your source code open to other developers, um, so they can contribute to it they can use it for other reasons in certain elements we you know there's there's elements of our technology stack that are completely open source w- with a license that it can be used in commercial products by third parties so that there's elements we built particularly my co-founder is very big on open source that huge companies around the world are using uh, that little element for something unrelated to smart buildings and smart workplace oh. and and it's making us our stack just stronger and 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 more resilient and so there's so many benefits in that in that regard then what we call like the core, the core to our product, that's open source for non-commercial use. But if you use it commercially, you have to purchase a license. So it just means that it's good because if you're running uh, an internal POC, uh, you might be able to use that without without paying for anything if you're doing it all yourself without needing services of of one of our partners. But when you need to as soon as it's commercial, then you have to purchase a commercial license. So it's still still the same business model as enterprise software, because it's an enterprise yes. software license. But it's just more transparent because every line of code can can be read by by anybody on our GitHub. And and that in my opinion, that's what the industry needs because it's all been so siloed and so closed. And, you know, this this process even to get A- APIs from third parties. Sometimes you have to sign an NDA probably because their API sucks. So they, they make an MDA before you can see it. We we're, we're actively trying to change that mindset. And and it's not new in, in, in IT land. It's just maybe a little bit new for smart buildings. If you think one of the biggest success stories of all time is is Red Hat, that's open source in the same sort of model, commercial use license, open source. And you know they, they sold to IBM for a huge amount of money and and the open source element you know help help them immensely. And one last thing about open source, it also allows us to attract talent. I, I feel like there's such a strong community around open source that our programmers, our developers are very passionate about that. And they would rather work for us because we're open source than work for somebody that's not.
0: Very cool. So I feel like the only thing we haven't touched on, on Place OS is the, like you have the concept of the platform. You have the concept of an application sitting on top of the platform. At least that's how I wrap my head around it. Yeah. Yeah you guys have your own applications and then anyone can, is there like a marketplace for others that have built apps on top or how does that work?
1: Yeah, uh, that, I mean, that that's spot on. And, and because a lot of our, this is why I'm always saying, uh, I, I'm trying hard not to be seen as a workplace uh, solution, <laughs> but our, our first and only packaged app is a workplace application. So so we packaged an off-the-shelf app with SAS, so hosted fully SAS model and you know price per feature per seat, basically. And we're going to do that. So we started with Workplace, but we're going to do that for other industry verticals. And at the same time, encourage our partners to do the same thing, La- launch their own applications on our marketplace. So our partners have been doing this on a project basis. So you know we, we work with large system integrators such as NTT, and they have built their own products on top of PlaceOS specifically for a, a client. The mm. next step is to work with them to release it as their own SaaS offering to to anyone. And that allows us to reach smaller customers. We've sort of been stuck in working only with large enterprises, but we're starting to see our SaaS adoption is 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 very quick, particularly in, in Southeast Asia right now. Since we launched SaaS, we're getting a lot of smaller businesses that are just using it for desk booking, desk tracking, things like that. And as a company, what we're always looking to do is find the next industry vertical for our platform. You mentioned health. We've got a health package that will likely wrap up as a SaaS offering as well. And and we that started as something we did specifically for a number of customers. And, and now we're seeing this as a trend that more, a lot of people would like to see as a package. And in a nutshell, it's, it's automation and workflow automation around telehealth, just making it a bit more easier to use for the patient and the clinicians. But then, yeah, as I said, we're we're on project levels, with our partners, we're we're working across lots of different industries, and our ultimate sort of goal is to enable landlords as the service providers. Mm-hmm. And, and once we have our own apps in in our marketplace, they can essentially have those for different verticals, or they can build their own. So they can build their own products. So it's a very typical platform business model. The shift to marketplace, and we're launching with our own products because it's easier to lead by example. We'd love to see our our partners just, you know, embrace this. We have APIs to build front-end. We have APIs to build your own drivers. That means you can build your own solution.
0: Got it. And you've, you've, it seems like you've mentioned at least three different types of partners right now. So there's the, like the Cisco's of the world where you're pulling data from their devices. And then there's the Systems integrators who are like a reseller of PlaceOS. Essentially, they're helping yeah. sell it, set it up, etc. And then this third maybe category would be software developers. Is that is that kind
1: of how you guys? You're getting you spot on every every time with your summary. So, and and the, the software developer partnerships. So so we work with creative agencies as well. And oh, so okay. let's say a, t- a typical project might be led by NTT. And for deployment and for the contracting with the client, and they might sub in creative agencies to, to build applications on top, or they might have in-house skills, depending on uh, what part of the world they're in to do that on their own. They also have an in-house creative agency. But the, the agencies, there's one called Monster Lab, a, a, a Japanese firm that acquired a whole bunch of firms around the world. And they're really good at scoping user experience, better than most people in the smart building landscape, certainly better than PlaceOS. So so we use the agencies that are like this is just normal for them. UX UX workshopping, wireframes, prototypes, working with the customer to build a bespoke solution that meets every single user story. And at the end, you have something that is much more polished and, and a better experience for everybody and, and includes all the stakeholders and, and the research. So those agencies are, are like a great option for large enterprise projects because they can make this whatever it needs to be for that particular customer. But we're, as as we grow our ecosystem, we're going to get more types of partners as well. So, the, so as you said, there's a the software development side, the vendor partnerships such as Cisco that allows us to get data in the first place and, and trigger things. And also on a sales front, we do a lot of sales and marketing up with Cisco. It's actually like really cool. Uh, recently, we did a partnership with WebEx and there was a PlaceOS logo with the WebEx logo on, on the billboard, the NASDAQ display in Times Square. And I, I wish I could have, you know, still in lockdown essentially, so I couldn't get there to see that, but that that's cool to see our partnership result in to the extent that we're doing marketing activities like that together. And it opens us up to their channel partners as well. But the, the thing I'm really pushing right now and, and encourage anyone who might be interested in this to reach out to me is, is to have marketplace partners, people just building their own products and, and hosting their own products potentially as well. And, and just if you need all of these integrations to be taken care of and the product on top is, is your own IP, then that's something you can sell to your customers.
0: Yeah. And this, this audience is well briefed on the value of that. Anyone that hasn't listened to the, or read the stuff on, I call it the independent data layer, you know, the ability to kind of for an application provider to just not worry about integration, huge value in my opinion. All right. So we got about 10 minutes left. I want to finish with maybe a little bit of like a rapid fire on a couple of the things I saw on your LinkedIn profile. So I'm calling these hot takes. <laughs> I think they're, they're like one sentence, one liners that anyone can look at on John's LinkedIn profile. But I want to pick a few out and read them to you and have you kind of expand upon them a little bit. So first one, if you focus on workflow automation and not just the visual, you can have a much better user experience. Can you, can you also expand on what you mean by workflow automation? We touched on it earlier, but I want to I like really double-click on it.
1: Yeah. Well, double-click's an interesting way of saying it because that's what we're trying to remove, right? <laughs> workflow automation. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so, so the the whole idea is if, if you, let's say you have a record of truth. Let's use room booking as a typical example. You're making a booking and you've added an external attendee. Why does the external attendee have to come in and check in and go through a process when we can pre-populate or pre-automate an experience from that point? So if we're collecting data, how can we use that data to its full extent across every possible automation? And it's really important um, uh, integration and records of truth enable that. So, so th- if the visitor doesn't have to do anything, that's a good experience. They, yeah. they can just walk, walk through the building. We can give them access automatically and we can achieve that if we tie into Salesforce and and then track them when they when they arrive. So we're always looking for opportunity for workflow automation. It's it's in a nutshell, it's it's not necessarily the physical, but it's removing unnecessary process from the user experience.
0: Totally. And and in in our foundations course, we that's actually how we teach. Like before we even get to technology, we say, who's their user persona and what is their workflow? And we make the students like literally go through an entire day in the life. And for everything that they do in that day in the life, what are the exact steps they need to take? And going yeah. through all of that before you can even start with, with basically saying like, what is the use case? And then what is the technology? And so I feel like that. That piece, like that's a pedestrian thing in the user experience world, right? The fact that I'm describing that as probably like there's probably UX people out there like you that are just like, well, that's not really the best way to explain it. But from from our marketplace, our industry, it's a it's an area that we still have so much maturity. So much, like we need to grow into
1: that mindset, that skill set. It's hard to achieve when everything's so siloed in our industry yeah. because because you you might you know. For a little while there, everyone replaced their physical touch panels and buttons with apps. Yeah. And so you needed to have six apps to do, you know, one workflow. So so now we're we're in this landscape where we're trying to remove ourselves from that. and. Firstly, let's not focus on apps. Let's look at where interface should live. And maybe it's in a collaboration environment, not necessarily the app store. But it's also like, let's not need to use the apps if we don't have to. Let's just like automate everything as much as we can. And and I always say as much as we can, because there, there is every scenario is going to be different. There's going to be some scenarios where you don't have to touch a thing. And there'll be some scenarios where you do need some uh, manual input at some point. So you still need to consider those traditional interfaces. But in my mind, the best uh, workflow would be giving you those interfaces In context at the right time. So you're not having to open them and enter all the data manually. It Mm -hmm. it knows it's making at least an educated guess. Here's when you need to fill in that form.
0: Well, I feel like where we're at as an industry with this conversation is we're getting a really sophisticated and thinking about tenant workflows or office worker workflows, right? Where we're not very sophisticated is then saying like, okay, what are all the other people that we want to think about their workflows for facility manager, any energy manager, sustainability person, like all of those, they all have similar workflows. It's not as physical. It's mostly it's computer work. Right. Right. Maybe a facility manager is different, but if I'm an energy manager, most of what I'm doing is on the computer. Right. Once I have the data. And so, but, but I still have a workflow. So if I'm, if I'm an energy manager, I don't want to be just shown utility data, right? I want to I want to have a software platform that helps me actually go through the energy management workflow. I'm going to benchmark a building. I'm going to figure out how to reduce energy consumption. I'm going to create a scope of work. I'm going to bid that out. I'm going to check to see if it was done. I'm going to do measurement verification. Like that's an entire workflow for that energy manager that we're just like, like there are no tools. And I know there are a few startups doing this right now. So I'm not saying there's no tools, but that's where we're at for that persona and i feel like you can keep going i'm getting on my soapbox here but you can keep going to all the other user personas and we're still not hitting all of those kind of manual or spreadsheet type workflows yeah
1: and and i think as you said this is like ux you know for ux people this is just a normal process and and I think what's missing has has been this framework and, and method of scoping that hasn't been used in in this industry. So l- looking at those personas and and then breaking down their their, work, their day into ultimately user stories. And I've said this word a million times now, user stories. But it, it's something we try to follow a, a standard process for for scoping, and and it, it includes user stories and and mapping that out for every possible thing that person's doing and, and not just doing so from um, the service provider point of view but the customer has to go through this exercise as well. And I think there's like, yeah, a framework would help with, with this, like tweaking the UX framework for smart buildings. Interesting. We'll put that on our list over here.
0: All right, maybe we have a time for a couple more. Next one, sensors usually suck. There, is much better, there are much better methods for tracking people if you think beyond apps.
1: So th- this is my point that a lot of apps are hard-coded and therefore only work with particular tracking methods. I would rather take the approach of auditing what you already have as a starting point. And if there's gaps in the location tracking, filling those gaps with appropriate technology at that point. But just, it's just very frustrating. And the reason I say they suck is because there's just, it's so complicated. There's so many of them it's frustrating when you walk into a space, like a meeting room, and there's there's three or four sensors in the same room because each vendor rolls out their own. Yeah. Um, and the, the one that's been there the whole time is the lighting sensor. So why didn't that project or that solution just integrate with the lighting sensor? So integration over specific technologies is, is the main point. You, you might need a sensor. I'm not saying you don't need sensors, but it's not you don't start with the technology. You start with a problem and try to solve it by working out the best method and and referencing what you have because why not get return on investment on existing technology? There's so many things in a building that's telling us location of people in some, some way. Let's just start there and then fill the gaps after that point. Love it. All right, last one. User interface is not user experience. I think we've been hitting on this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one to end on because I think a big trend right now is 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 what is, in, in in IT in general is what is the interface today? It's with with post app world we're even looking at, you know, uh, post mobile world and and things like augmented reality, virtual reality. But fundamentally, how do we interact with the building? And it's not user interface, it's not just throwing buttons and apps and, and portals at everything, it's being very specific for every user, for every building, for every space, mapping all those out together and cross-referencing them all. And. There is a time and a place for all of the interface types. So, you know, there are some projects now augmented reality is not just a gimmick. It might be useful. It might be the best option for that particular scenario or voice control is probably the best option in other scenarios. Um, or if it's a workplace, I think the best place for a lot of interfaces today are collaboration environments, such as a chat-based communication. So your system, you interact with your system via chat rather than buttons and, and things like that. So it's, it's really just looking at all of the options and choosing the right one. So it, this is where, you this is biased for me to say this but it's whether that's why platforms much more important than buying a off-the-shelf workplace application because you need to to have different interface methods as well as different integration methods
0: totally whereas a off-the-shelf application typically has a constrained set of interfaces
1: well i mean you you stuck to the interfaces that are delivered as part of of that solution Mm -hmm. um so, so at the very least, like when we, you know, we're, it, it's this tricky territory because we do have off the shelf packaged workplace applications, but at the, at the very least they're powered by place OS and you can go into the backend interfaces and yeah. write your own sort of recipes and, and change what the interface is doing or add, you know, using our front end APIs, build a brand new interface. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an app. Our front end APIs can interact with augmented reality if needed. Totally. All right.
0: Amazing. Let's, let's, let's end there. Two questions for you. What's your dog's name? Who's over here for anyone not listening not watching on YouTube. He's got a dog over his left shoulder here. What's the dog's name? And what are you looking forward to for
1: in the future? The dog's name is Burger, And I'm, I'm surprised he's been so quiet because uh, he's not usually in the office this early. And what I'm looking forward to in the future, I, I, I'm really excited about some of the new markets we're working in the Middle East in particular, that, that, there's a lot of new things happening there, and, and integrating into what I would basically classify as a smart city. So mm-hmm. if if we go back to my sort of career journey, starting off in the in the teaching space, in the in the seminar room or the lecture theatre, and zooming out to the floor to the building, we have this opportunity now to zoom right out to the to the city, mm-hmm. and it, it takes Middle East to to achieve that because they have the scale, they they have the ability to have. One stakeholder that's in charge of a whole a large campus or indeed a city. We're trying to do a smart city in established cities is is very hard. You know, the, who do you right. who do you sell that to? You know, the stakeholder problem is is the main one there. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to, just taking place OS into new areas that are not necessarily workplace. My my immediate goal and my my long term goal of of going as far as smart city. So multiple industries, multiple buildings, all connected to one platform.
0: Fascinating. Well, thanks, John, for coming on the show.
1: Really appreciate it. Uh, Great. Thanks, James.
0: All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexislabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.